Welcome to episode 32 of the Empowering Ability Podcast. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast, where we get you and your loved ones impacted by disability the information needed to live a full and meaningful life. Now here's your host, Eric Gall. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. And today we're kicking off our next mini-series on the podcast. And over the next few months, we're going to be talking a lot about siblings. And siblings are often forgotten about in the family equation when there's a disability in the family. Uh, Yet they play such an important role. So in this mini-series, we're going to be trying to answer a couple of questions um, about and for siblings, uh, such as what role can siblings play for their brothers and sisters? And what support is available out there for siblings? And if the sibling topic is one that interests you, uh, you can get a, a jump start by listening to this ob- episode, obviously, but also listening to episode number nine with Helen Reese. And Helen and I have a really important conversation about really just uh, starting that conversation with your family about the roles that everybody wants to play um, in the family and the role that siblings want to play. So often there's so many assumptions about what roles family members are going to play. And it's really something we need to talk about to get understanding and clarity on and not make assumptions. And you'd be surprised in how involved family members really want to be. So to kick off the mini series today, uh, we have guest Melissa Jansen on the show all the way from New Zealand. And Melissa works professionally in the disability sector and is the sister to Yaniv, uh, who has a disability. And Melissa and I discuss uh, the question of the role that we can play um, as brothers and sisters to support our brothers and sisters. Uh, we talk about friendship dating, and dreaming big. So let's welcome Melissa onto the podcast. Hey, Melissa. Welcome to the Empowering Ability Podcast. Thanks for joining today. Hey, Eric. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great, thank you. So we've got Melissa Jansen with us today, all the way from New Zealand. So excited to have her on the podcast. And Melissa is a sibling, uh, much like I am. So I'm excited to talk about the perspective of, I guess, the sibling perspective. And Melissa, maybe if we could just start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, a little bit about your family story. Yeah. So we moved to New Zealand, actually, in 2000, um, coming from Israel. So um, there's me and my parents and my two brothers. Yeah, and I guess that's is, why like the there's not really a thick um, New Zealand accent. I mean, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, it's just a very mixed accent. People don't really guess right yeah. <laughs> when they guess where they guess where <laughs> I'm from. Each of us has a different accent. Interestingly, me and my sibling. Huh. Like that is my super interesting. Yeah, like my little brother Yaniv's accent more aligns with my parents, and my older brother more aligns with I don't know he lived in Holland for a bit and kind of US influence so we're all different wow fascinating global family yeah yeah very (laughs) yeah my mom's French my dad's South African and they met in Israel and that's where they had us and that's where we came from very cool sorry I Mm. I interrupted you so 
go ahead. No, no. Well, that's how it goes. Like that's the the kind of the line. So kind of a mixed line. So we, um, yeah, we had our childhood in Israel and we moved over. And um, it's actually not until we moved over that my little brother Yaniv um, got his diagnosis as Asperger's, um, which I didn't know until a few years ago. So he was maybe um, eight when we moved over. So that's pretty surprising that he never had a diagnosis in Israel. And um, it was finally when we moved over here that he could actually access more services. And things could have changed since then. But but that was that. So we, um, we mostly went to the same school, uh, mainstream school. And Yaniv struggled with bullying, like... Like people didn't understand his worldview and where he was coming from, and so that always frustrated me growing up. Um, I think that's a common sibling thing where your peers kind of look at your sibling and just don't get it, or you see a lot of bullying happening, and um, so that would be. Yeah, always frustrating that other people couldn't see all his gifts and all his talents as I could. Mm-hmm. Don't know, can you relate to that? Yeah, for sure. I think when I look at my family and my sister, still to this day, um, she's my sister Sarah is not really recognized or looked at for the potential that she actually truly has. It's mm. more looked at, you know, I think the deficits are looked at more frequently than the than mm. the gifts that she has. And as a sibling, that's a role that I play is to help um, family members and, and other people in her life to look past those deficits and, and look at mm-hmm. the things that she does have and the things that she's brilliant at and to help mm-hmm. her flourish in by using those gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably a common thing. Yeah. So for mm-hmm. for our listeners that don't know much about Asperger's, um, my understanding of it is that a person with Asperger's might struggle to pick up social cues and kind mm-hmm. of that social intelligence realm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Would you be able to maybe expand on that a little bit? Yeah, um, it doesn't come naturally to Yaniv to go up to someone and initiate conversation, although he's really developed in the last kind of five years or so. He's really grown as a person, and, and that's coming more naturally to him. But um, making friends, knowing what's kind of, like he always asks me, was that polite? Or how would you be polite in this situation? He doesn't get that. Or sarcasm is hard or humor in general, although he's pretty funny. So he's kind of grown into that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like people say you're an alien and you come onto Earth and you don't understand all these other people, where they're coming from. Like, why do they do what they do? That's kind of like the Aspie 
perspective. Hmm. Well, it sounds like your brother has an awareness or a growing consciousness of, mm. of those social elements that he might not have, right? Like by mm -hmm. asking, how do I be polite in this situation? Um, he mm -hmm. has the awareness that that's a situation that he wants to be polite in. Yeah, and I think that that has really developed since me and my older brother moved out. So Yaniv is 25 and he lives with my parents. And he is planning his move out, so that's great. But I've noticed that since we moved out, there's been huge growth. He's just so perceptive and he's come into a lot of having a lot of empathy and caring about other people and really wanting to know like what you're interested in why and in his own way like he emails me a lot and we talk and text now and he um he'll ask me a lot of things he didn't used to ask me like he used to be more interested in who who are my friends and what were their birthdays so numbers is a really big thing um, for Aspies. But he's, um, yeah, he, he'll ask things like, how's yoga going and how's surfing going and what, how's your flatmate going and how's your cat and this and that and how's your relationship. And so he's really, I think, it, you know, he's breaking a lot of stereotypes actually when we see People think that uh, people on the spectrum, like, don't have, you know, there's a lot of stereotype views for saying that people don't have emotions or don't know how to use their emotions. But actually, and he's kind of breaking all that and he's interested in other people. And Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And I, I want to dive deeper into that personal growth that you're talking about that you've seen Yaniv yeah. have in the past little while. But before we do that, um, I just wanted to briefly touch on there's, there's yourself and some other members of your family that actually mm -hmm. work professionally with, with people with, that have uh, disabilities. Could you maybe just touch mm -hmm. on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my mom is a clinical psychologist who now does a lot of family centered research and siblings is, coming into that but I think that family centered practices like siblings are the missing picture in this when people have talked about family centered practices they're mostly talking about parents and what parents can do to be empowered and give their kids a better life kind of thing um, so I think that that's growing um, but she does a lot of work with parents and uh, empowering them to recognize their own tacit knowledge about their kids and not give in to this whole power disparity between professionals and families. Because there's this idea that um, you have a child with a disability, so the first thing you need is therapy. And that's just, I mean, it's not the whole picture. What we need to start thinking of is actually they're at home most of the time, they're with you, you know them the best, and how can you use that together with the professional, not take everything a professional says as godsend and nothing to be questioned. I mean, there's a lot of, it's within psychology and within other professions, it's something that we have to work through. Right, right. And your, your mom, uh, mother, 
and is it Anik? Anik? Anik, yeah. Anik, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually connected us, uh, us together, which has been great. And um, mm-hmm. she's a big advocate and promoter of the podcast. So, um, yeah, she is. <laughs> I'm super grateful <laughs> to that. A big shout out to her. And, yeah. um, and yourself, Melissa, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your, what you do professionally? Yeah. So I also ended up in psychology, um, funny enough. Um, and my field is behavioral psychology and I'm on the path to registering. So almost there, but I work at a, um, disability service provider and, um, that is an anthroposophic service provider. So that's uh, based on the principles of Rudolf Steiner, who was a philosopher, educator, um, had thoughts about architecture and farming, um, had alternative views about how we can be with people in the world um, from all those perspectives. And um, so we take a pretty holistic view of the person, where, where they're at spiritually, where they're emotionally, where they're personally and physically. And um, so we use some of his principles as guiding our work. Um, and so my role is behavior support leader. So I work with, we're now developing a service, so it's kind of a new thing. Um, and I'm pretty new in my role. So we're developing person-directed behavior support. So traditionally, behavior support is uh, a lot of like uh, staff members reaching out and saying, I have problems with this um, and I need solutions for this. But actually, we're trying to break that mold and say, okay, well, here's the person that we're supporting and what do they want from this service? So we can talk about friendships, relationships, sexuality. We can talk about how to deal with emotions like anger and anxiety. Um, we can talk about how to access community support. So we're trying to be more, and that's pretty kind of difficult and uh, it's, it's kind of revolutionary because we haven't, you know, the whole nothing about me without me. We haven't really done that with people with very high needs. So there's a lot of meetings that take place without the person in the room. And we're trying to totally move away from that. We need to always have the person there so that they can contribute and say what they need. And that might involve learning um, communication systems, like using visual aids, um, like doing um, this. Um, one called talking mats where you can lay out about a, a bunch of visuals on the table and say what do you think about this do you like it or not like it so you can get pretty it can get pretty simple as to how to communicate with someone mm-hmm. well simple or direct yeah. um, that person and so that's a whole yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that person-centered approach just makes a lot of sense in the context of the work that you're doing because you're satisfying the need that the client actually or the customer actually has compared to just providing saying, you know, this is the service we provide in the box and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you this service whether you 
needed or not because <laughs> somebody said you mm-hmm. needed it rather than yeah, yeah versus the approach of understanding the person this is their challenge that they have in front of them right now and it's like, okay let's work together to to solve that and like you said to have that person always in the room because if they're not maybe you start talking about something that's not actually relevant to that individual yeah um, yeah and important and that just say. yeah and that just wouldn't happen if they didn't have a disability mm-hmm like, if you're going to access mental health services, you're talking to your psychologist or counselor. It's it's just kind of crazy that we haven't included people and we think that it's kind of okay <laughs> or professional not to include people. And actually, psychological standards say you should always take, you know, the most amount of measures to get consent or assent. So the difference is, um, consent is full, fully informed decision. Um, so there's understanding and agreeing. Mm-hmm. And assent could just mean agreeing more than understanding. So some people are not able to give full consent, and therefore it's called assent. Right. And so, yeah, psychological standards say you should um, aim for, you know, consent or if not assent. Right. In all cases. Yeah, and it's interesting, like, even thinking about my own experiences with people with disabilities, like, you can tell when you have assent versus consent. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. when you have assent, often if you ask the question in a different way, or you ask it a couple of different ways, you can mm-hmm. help that person mm-hmm. understand it to be able to get to a point of consent. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Definitely. Awesome. Yeah, so thank you for sharing kind of uh i guess what you do professionally and also your mom and i know she has a a big influence on on you and your family as well Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but i want to switch gears a little bit um melissa and and talk about the sibling perspective some more um yeah so can maybe you share the role that you play in your brother yaniv's life or his life yeah i think that like any sibling relationship, it should be really close and positive. I mean, yeah, I think we are um, very close. And nowadays we talk about a lot and he's really mature and he um, really wants to know what's happening in my life and I want to know what's happening in his life. So I think um, I think being there to to know what's happening, you know, what's going on in his life and to help plan for the future. I mean, that's something you talk about a lot and Helen Rice talks about a lot mm-hmm. on her blog. Um, I think that that's something because I'm, so you need 25, I'm 28. So it's kind of something I'm starting to think about now and probably some of you started to think about a while ago. Um because as Yaniv gets older, you know what's going to happen, where's he going to live, where he wants to move out and have be independent, and I think he will. Um, even longer term into the future, I think that's something only recently I'm thinking about. Um, but I think that for now, it's about kind of being there and being close and making sure you're connected so that you can do all the things a sibling would do, and I think we should be looking at what risks 
can he take? And I use that word positively, the dignity of risk. Um, and so an example of that is relationships. So my parents, if I take a sibling perspective or if I compare them, um, I remember having a conversation with my mom that um, about Yaniv and about the future and would he ever have a romantic relationship. And she kind of said, you know, I didn't think it was, I don't think it's possible. And I was like, why not? What do you mean? And I was literally, I was surprised, you know, that we had such different points of view. And I thought, he's totally capable. He's totally there emotionally. And, you know, if he was in a different place, we would still facilitate that. So I think there's um, maybe a generational thing too. I mean, my parents are very progressive, but maybe siblings just have a more natural role anyway. Like we don't really talk to our parents about sex much, you know, it's kind of something you tend to do more with siblings or with cousins. Um, it's kind of a different conversation if you have that with your parents than if you have that with your sibling or your cousin. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's somewhere where siblings like us could be big advocates for relationships and getting the right education and resources to make that happen because that's a huge area which is lacking as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the, the thing that really stood out for me there, Melissa, is you playing that role almost as a, I guess, a challenging role. And just the two were two mm -hmm. very powerful words. Why not? Yeah, exactly. And just being that person for your brother to ask why not. Mm -hmm. Right. And just to trigger a different set of thinking or mm -hmm. open a possibility or, hey, let's have a conversation about that instead of making an assumption that Geneve isn't capable of having a relationship or capable of X. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think as siblings, that's that's a very important role that that we can play. And just using those two words, why not? Mm hmm. Yeah, great. New catchphrase. Yeah, why not? I <laughs> Sibling <love it>. catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you credit for it. No, we did it together. <laughs> All right, okay, we co-created it. Um, <laughs> well, you created it, and I just kind of plucked it out. But um, <laughs> that's what working together is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so let's stay on the on the in the relationship um, topic for a minute. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's growing conversation about relationships with for romantic relationships in the disability community. Mm -hmm. um, and when you and I first had a, a conversation, you were telling me about the role that you played to help mm -hmm. facilitate uh, ro a romantic relationship for your brother, Yaniv. Can mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit more about that and kind of the story behind it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, it probably comes a little bit more naturally to me to talk about this stuff because 
I used to facilitate a women's group or women and allies group called Female Sexuality, um, which came out of my study abroad at UC Berkeley. And it was a student-led course. So it's, it was actually something you got 20 credits for going twice a week and doing all this cool feminist reading and getting around and me- meeting women and allies from different backgrounds and empowering each other. So it was that was for me a really formative experience in learning how to talk about sexuality and how to relate and how to think critically. Um, and then when I came home to New Zealand, I started two other groups like that. And so it's something I'm probably more fluid in. And so that's not, yeah, I think that if there are siblings out there that have never talked about relationships to their siblings, that's fine. Like there's always, you're, you're always going to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's great resources out there for conversations like that too. But um, so that's a little background. Um, Yaniv's, Yaniv's thing kind of came about pretty naturally. So Yaniv's a painter, um, an artist. So he has got this pretty great career. He's just published his, I think it's his fourth or fifth book. I can't keep up. I keep. I always have this joke that me and my older sibling are always trying to keep up with Yaniv because he's <laughs> doing really amazing things. Yeah. So he's he's published and he's had many exhibitions. He's sold over 160 paintings. Um, his work is valued much higher now, which is really great. So people are not seeing him for his disability anymore. Like there was always a story in the media about how he has a disability and that people on the one hand connected to the story, but on the other hand, it was a bit of exoticization going on because where they're looking at is, you know, as a family, we were always wondering if they were looking at his talent or at his story or label. So um, anyway, that's a long story to say that. Um, yeah. And just quickly, Yen- can we can we link to Yaniv's books and like his art website oh, yeah. so that people can check that out? Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, cool. Finally, I'm doing some promotion. Good. Yeah, we'll, we'll include that in the, uh, in the show notes and the blog so folks can check that out. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, that long story was to say that Yaniv met his love interest at the time at one of his exhibitions. I think it was one of his exhibitions. So I wasn't there, but I think it, that was the story. Um, so she was a young woman also with Asperger's and he met her and she lived in a different city. Um, and so he met her and then he started kind of telling me about her. And then my parents started telling me about her, which is like hilarious getting the two different stories because they were so excited, like over the moon about this person. And then Yaniv's Yaniv's thing was like, yeah, she's nice. Like, <laughs> she's a painter. She likes Shrek. <laughs> like, <laughs> so was Yaniv telling your parents about her, or your parents just kind of saw this happening? So they, I think either both or just my mom were at that exhibition where they met. And so, and they met 
and then I think that she was a mutual friend's daughter. And so then they met and then they had this connection. So they saw it kind of happen and I wasn't there. Okay. So I heard all these amazing things about her before I'd met her. Um, so yeah, it was pretty natural. So he started talking to me about her and in high school, he'd actually had uh, a few crushes and he would talk to me about those as well. And then I would just kind of like listen and talk and, you know, just have, you know, what, what siblings normally do. So we, so he started talking about it and then I said, you know, you need, why don't you like go on a date? And he was like, oh, what's that? <laughs> so, so I'm still trying to figure we, that out myself. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, so we we organized that they would meet, and this this whole thing is so funny because I guess if someone didn't have a disability, normally their parents wouldn't be involved in the dating process. Right. But my parents were involved in like you know, meeting her mom, I think, and kind of facilitating this whole, like, thing before they were even dating. So I just thought it was really funny. So it took quite a big kind of organization thing to get them together. But Yaniv said to me, I don't remember, I think maybe I suggested that I come along on Yaniv's date. <laughs> and... We went out for pizza, and it was pretty, pretty cool. They talked about liking the same movies, and we went bowling afterwards. And there were a few lulls in the conversation where, you know, neither of them knew how to start talking about something else. So I would just be like, hey, Aniv, you know, I know, I know that you like this movie. You know, does uh, Natasha like this movie? And so that would just be just kind of like facilitating that for them. Yeah, and then we went bowling and it was great. And then at the end of it, Yaniv said to me, so when can you come be with me, Natasha, again? <laughs> <laughs> and I was really surprised. I thought, don't you want privacy on your second date? But to them, it was not an issue. Like they actually wanted me there. So there's uh, learning and everything, I think. Yeah, that's really cool. It sounds like you helped to create that bridge to to help them with kind of the social context of 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 things because that's an area where they might might both experience some challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. I I I am almost envisioning a new career for you, Melissa, as a relationship <laughs> facilitator, a permanent third wheel. Yeah, well, I've thought about it. <laughs> a permanent third wheel. I like that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a good title. Um, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm curious. So there's, you know, the, the relationships in dating, the being that person to ask why not and to challenge assumptions or, um, to challenge barriers that other people might put in front of Yaniv. What other ways have, have you played a role in your brother's life or have you seen maybe other siblings play roles in, in their siblings' lives? I think facilitating friendships is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something you need. It's still, I think, finding his way in, like developing those meaningful friendships. But I think there's also a role in, so there's a role in including. And so like whenever I go home, 
if I bring a friend or if I'm going to meet a friend, I'll always invite Yaniv and try and do something together. And often he's kind of resistant because he might, I don't know, might not want to come or might not know what we would be doing. Or, um, but I think that that's important to just try and include your sibling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I've got a short little side story that goes along with that. Um, mm-hmm. So when I first started the podcast, I was doing a bunch of mapping on just a, a piece of paper on um, what I wanted it to look like and who are my dream guests on the podcast. If I had have mm-hmm. known you at the time, Melissa, I would have had you on that dream guest list. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, thanks, Eric. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, but at the top of the list was Jean Vanier. So Jean Vanier is the founder of L'Arche and um, has done several amazing things for um, people with disabilities, wrote several books as well. And um, I was like, all right, I haven't done one podcast, but Jean Vanier, he's, I'm going to get him on the podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow, so yeah, just going for it. Just going for it. So I emailed a, a few different people and eventually I got to like, I don't know if his, it's, it was his executive assistant or who exactly it was, but I basically kind of briefly told my family story and what I was doing and the difference that I wanted to make in the world. And uh, I asked John Vanier if, hey, if you're ever in Toronto, I'd be happy to take you out for a coffee or go for a walk or something to that nature. And I get a, a, a reply back from from this lady, um, John Vanier's assistant, and it's in the John Vanier's voice, and it says, uh, "Eric, I am 88 years old. I live in France. I do not travel. I will try and call you." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Okay." <laughs> well, at least he answered me. Yeah. And uh, so a few weeks later, I I get a, a phone call, and it didn't. I came up my cell phone, and it was like one of those. Um, like no it didn't identify who it was so mm. it was a saturday morning i was being lazy still laying in bed and i let it go to voicemail yeah and uh, i checked my phone it was and it was john vanny he left me a voicemail i was like holy crap <laughs> he actually <laughs> called me but i didn't pick it up <laughs> so uh yeah. the next day same thing happened so i pick up the phone and sure enough it's john vanny right and i was like i, I didn't I was like, crap, I should have prepared yesterday when <laughs> when I knew he was trying to reach out to me um, mm. to like prep some questions. And mm-hmm. um, I more or less, I forget the exact questions that I asked him, but just kind of general advice. Like if, if he was in my shoes, what, you know, what advice would he give him, give himself knowing what he knows kind of type thing. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very simple advice that he gave me. He said, befriend people that have disabilities and influence others to befriend people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And what you're, you know, sharing your story about how you do that with your brother. Um, mm-hmm. Really, it's it's something that's simple, but is so, so meaningful to mm-hmm. your brother. Right. And yeah. and to the people that you're making, like those people that are coming into relationship with your brother, because that's a yeah. unique relationship that they're not going to have with anybody else. Yeah. And that's what the world is missing mm-hmm. when we fail to include people. Well, yeah, they're missing all the talents and benefits kind of that 
people with disabilities can can give us and what they can teach us. Yeah. So you mm. you carried that wisdom that John Banier has. So <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back to something we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And um, you were talking about the growth that your brothers had. And um, it was in reference to building his um, social uh, IQ. Could mm-hmm. you maybe talk to a little bit more about that growth? And what I, I guess I'd love to do is maybe see if we can tease out or deconstruct what has led to that. Because if we can share that with other people, then they might be able to use some of those tactics or whatever it is that we Mm -hmm. tease out with with their brothers and sisters or maybe it's mom and dads or supporters um, to be Mm -hmm. able to use those. So maybe if you could just talk to a little bit about the growth that you've seen your brother have, and then maybe we can just briefly talk about maybe how that came about. Yeah, so like I said, I noticed that since me and my older brother moved out, Yaniv was developing like really holistically and very, um, you know, very quickly. And I think that that is having my parents' attention there and being able to ask all the questions that he likes asking about the world and what makes things polite or not polite and... Um, he's also very family focused, so he gets the family together for Friday night dinners, like my parents and my aunts and uncles and sometimes cousins. So he's always done that. Um, and then he used to, when he was little, write these long scrolls that we would read out at the table. (laughs) Mostly they were 22 pages because that's his favorite number. (laughs) The 22 pages of rainbow colored, so like imagine like a red piece of paper, an orange piece of paper, a yellow piece of paper, you know, like that way. Yeah. And then with the, all his questions about the world. <laughs> so then we'd have to sit there on Friday nights and read these things out. <laughs> and sometimes he was not even in the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I think. Him being just with my parents allowed him that time to get all that knowledge. I think there's also an age thing. You know, after you leave school, your your life is different. You start thinking about different things. And then the big thing is his career. So he has something really meaningful to talk with new people about. So he'll often go places and take his backpack and put a bunch of his books in there because he'll want to start a conversation about his, about his work, which is very natural. Like that's what people, you know, you go to a party and it's like, what do you do for a job? Or what's your gig? So I think that, you know, we don't have to kind of search for it. I think that that's one of the, the big things I can pin, pinpoint out that for Yaniv and for other people I know with disabilities, has been that big development Um, because through that he can say, you know, this is what I do. And then people can look at the books and look at his artwork and then they start a conversation. They're like, Oh, I really like this painting. And he'll be like, why? And then he'll, they'll say it. And then he'll be like, that's interesting. So yeah. And that, that's also happened if I can digress 
I did some work in Sydney with um, a community educator and also motivational non-speaker. His name is Abdul Karim Bushafa. And we're now colleagues, and I still wish I kind of was working there because it's kind of a dream thing, but we're still in touch a little. And he has a disability, and he created a micro-business as well. And he does this 20-minute powerhouse show, kind of like Tony Robbins, but Tony Robbins, sorry, but kind of uh, just with his own little twist, like Ricky Martin and Eminem and Moby and all these songs are kind of ashamed to listen to, but they're like the most feel-good songs. And then he tells a story about his life and what it's like having a disability. And um, he doesn't talk, but he does gestures, and he's got a co-actor that has a script and he tells his story and then Kareem kind of is on the stage and he's got props and he gestures and he acts and he's got, you know, he does amazing things with his body and his facial expressions. And I had, I watched the same thing through Kareem, like his personal intuitions developed from his career. So it was a top down approach rather than a physiotherapist, not a physio, sorry a um, occupational therapist, say, going in there and saying, you need to learn how to use your hands in this way. Kareem went out and got a career and then started using his body in this way. So, for example, we were at an indigenous festival and he had two shows there. And the first, on the first night, it was his first time performing on the stage. So it was this stage that was maybe a meter off the ground and he had a, a section in the play where he has to go and interact with the audience. And so the first time he had to kind of walk down a few steps, but he'd never done it before. So he was like, because he's got cerebral palsy, he kind of moves differently. So he kind of struggled down these steps. But then the second show, he stage dived off the stage, like <laughs> jumped off. And it was like this super rock and roll move. And we were all blown away. Like, oh, my God, Kareem just jumped off the stage. Wow. So, so I love that kind of top-down thinking of you're doing what you love. And then you're just learning all these life skills through it. Mm. I think that's a super interesting insight because often, and I, I'm directly referring to my my personal experience with people with disabilities and my, and my sister, mm-hmm. the thinking goes, okay, you know, Sarah wants to do X. What skills mm-hmm. does she need to develop in order to be able to do that? And how are we going to help her to get those skills mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than Sarah is going to go do X. And when mm-hmm. she does by doing X, she will figure out the skills to do X mm-hmm. well right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of risk taking and a lot of uncertainty in the second option. Right. Which is maybe why we're, you know, we're risk averse to that. Yeah. But like you're saying, there's a lot of growth that happens Mm -hmm. by going and getting your career or jumping, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a volunteer activity or it's, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, a new relationship or whatever that is. Um, Mm -hmm. By jumping right in, you figure it out when you're mm-hmm. when you're in that situation you're kind of forced to and mm-hmm. 
that's just something that we all naturally have the capability to do. Some people it takes longer than others, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, like you're saying, there's there's risk involved, but there's also a lot of reward and, and upside. The other thing that comes to mind is often we can get held back or stuck mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to develop those skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at if you look at Karim, it's a prime example because his teachers always wanted him to hold a pencil and learn how to write. But I don't think that he really wants that. And now when he signs, you know, after the show, he'll do signatures. He just like grabs a pen and like scribbles this awesome signature and it's different every time, but it's yeah. like really awesome. And if we had waited for Karim to learn how to write, you know, it, we would just never be there. Right. And, and lots of people said, you know, what's your plan B? Well, he doesn't have plan B. This is his dream job. He wants to be a performer. And so aiming high is something we really have to get used to doing because I think there's that whole bigotry of low expectation in the disability sector in general. And, you know, siblings can take that vision, you know, ask it again, why not? Why not? What, and, and why not dream big? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Um, Thank you for sharing that, Melissa. And uh, just a couple more questions for you. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there from, I guess, your lived experience as a sibling or as a professional, um, Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to other siblings out there? Um, I think a big one is stay connected stay interested in what ha- what's happening in your brother's sister's life. Um, read up, stay interested, listen to podcasts like this, get new ideas, gather a bunch of success stories like Kareem and Yaniv's and your sister and um, use those when you come across self-defeating beliefs. Oh, but, you know, my sibling has, a, you know, very complex high needs and this could never be possible for them well it won't be if we're not those advocates and Karim is a good example because he has an intellectual disability and cerebral palsy and it took him a while to discover his talent and Yaniv was luckier because he found it earlier but I think um, yeah that's another point is to help your sibling if you're still if your sibling is still going through school look out for what's what they're really interested in what they're passionate about what they've got talent in and use that and try to ride that wave when they're as they're leaving school to transition into a career yeah i love that um those words to to carry on to other siblings so to be connected, to continue, always continue learning, um, to learn about other success stories out there that other families, other siblings have, and mm-hmm. uh, just to be your sibling's biggest advocate. I, I think mm-hmm. that, um, that that's huge. So, Melissa, I mean, it was a pleasure being able to have this conversation with you today and some great insights mm-hmm. were shared for, for our listeners. Um, Me too. Yeah, so thank you so much for coming on. And is if people want to continue the conversation um, with you mm-hmm. today, 
mm-hmm. or after to, after listening to the podcast, um, how can people reach you? Yeah, we could do Facebook or um, email. So my email is Melissa Jansen. So M E L I S S A J A N S O N. And then the number 22 at gmail.com. Um, and then you can search my name with New Zealand and you'll probably come up in there somewhere. Okay. Um, Perfect. Yeah. I'll, I'll include that in the show notes um, as mm. well as your brother's uh, art mm. website and, and his books that he's published. And so, Melissa, thanks so yeah. much for coming up on, uh, coming on the podcast today. And uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks, Eric. It was a pleasure. Big, big thank you goes out to Melissa Jansen for joining me on the podcast today. It was really great uh, to have her on the podcast and to talk about the sibling perspective and as siblings, a role that we can play within our family and within uh, our brothers and sisters' lives. And some really important points on relationships and how we can uh, support our siblings in building relationships and and be that bridge to relationship and helping them to... um, build relationships in their lives. And also really that slogan that we came up with, uh, why not? So playing a challenger role to open up possibilities for our brothers and sisters and also to help them dream big. So some really cool points that, uh, that came out in today's conversation. I also really encourage you to think about what the role is of a sibling in your family's life and to start that conversation around what that looks like and the involvement that siblings want to have. This can open the doors to a lot of clarity and understanding and help you to build the path forward towards the future that you really desire for your family. Next week on the podcast, we have guest Tony Smith. And Tony is from Giel, Belgium. And if you remember back from uh, one of the housing podcasts with Jackie Goldstein, uh, Jackie tells the story of Giel. And for over the last 700 years, Giel has had a family um, foster program where individuals with disabilities and mental illness will live with people in the community as like a family home type program. And that all started from the legend of St. Dymphna, and Jackie tells that great story. And uh, Tony is a foster family in Giel. So Jackie was uh, kind enough to help me get connected to Tony. And Tony and I have a, a really great conversation around what it's like to be, uh, a bo- what it's like to have a boarder come and live in your home. And she talks about how that's really added to her life and the meaning that that's given her and her husband. And she shares some stories about that as well. So really interesting episode. I think you're going to enjoy it. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Uh, If you like this episode and you think you know someone that would benefit, please share it with them. Uh, Be a part of the change. Think differently about disability. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit us at empoweringability.org for more podcasts and resources to help you and your loved ones impacted by disability build a full and meaningful life.